You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Good morning. This is the 3CR Garden Show and I'm Virginia Haywood. With me in the studio is Tex Moon, Ranger Team Leader for the Dandenong Rangers, Dandenong Botanic Gardens, the Arboretums, the George Tyndale Gardens. There's an awful lot that Tex covers. Good morning, Tex. Hello. And Stephen from Dixonia Rare Plants Nursery in Macedon. Media person, member of plant, uh, president of Plant Trust. Yes, pe- yes, yes. Involved in lots, Virginia. <laughs> <coughs> Almost as much as Tex, I think. <laughs> I'd say more. In my own way, yes. Yes, uh, probably more. And Bronwyn Cole, expert on fruit fly and the Yarra Valley coordinator for the fruit fly program. Good morning, Bronwyn. Thanks for having me along. Well... Autumn looks like it's actually coming. It was dark when I got up this morning, so yeah. that means yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Acer japonicas and things like that at work yeah. are just starting to, to yeah. show a bit. So, yeah. Yes, it it's is on its definitely way. coming. Yes. yes. And and just that slight coolness in the mm. air at night means that uh, my garden, I watered for the first time yesterday. I mean, I've watered, you know, things I've just planted. Yep. But the, I put yep. sprinklers on for the first time yesterday. So it's Yes, a what a good ass. summer we had, mm. though, when you think yeah. about it. Yeah. I mean, it may not have been good for some veggie gardeners because your summer crops might have been a bit iffy. Um, but for the ornamental garden, it has been a such a relaxing season, really. Yeah. Except for that big storm that blew trees over. Yes. Apart from that. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah that was... and my biggest rose bush. Oh, God, really? It went over, yeah, and it's been there for, well, I mean, it was there when I moved in, and it's at least 10, 12 foot high. And, and it, it took out a rose bush. It took it? out the rose bushes. Oh. Now, I put it back in, and mm. it's in flower again. Yeah. Yep. So we hope. Yeah, well, I couldn't put my exocarpa back in that blew over in the storm, my cherry bellard, <laughs> yeah. which was really disappointing. I mean... They're a tree you can't really plant. They've got to find their That's own right. way there because they're semi-parasitic. Yep. And I have, well, originally I had three in the garden uh, that were just remnants from the bushland block that it was when I bought it. Um, one blew over a few years ago or just more or less fell over. It didn't really, I don't think we actually had a storm. It just sort of leant over and fell. Um and in that big storm, one fell from... It was almost on the street. It was right out the front of our garden. And it fell straight down the middle of a path. So it only did a little bit of collateral damage on yeah. either side. <laughs> but um, it's really disappointing because they're rather pretty trees. I yeah, like they them. are. You know, and so now I'm down to one big one that's left out in the back garden. And, and they how, fruit, did, how did the three get in there if you, if you don't plant them? Oh, they, they were just self-sown ones that yeah. had come up. Uh, I always keep my eye out for self-sown natives that might or might not be in the right spot in the garden because mm. I figure... 
if they've come up of their own accord and there's something that's endemic to the site, I don't mind leaving them there as long as they don't come up where I don't want them. And in fact, I worked around the cherry ballards because they were on site before I was. So I gardened sort of around them yep. and sort of left them in situ and made sure paths went in the right direction and things so that they didn't get damaged. Yeah. And then I lost them anyway. Yeah. But anyhow. <laughs> That's an opportunity. Yeah, well, it That's, is. I always sit, well, I've, uh, where the big one fell down in the front garden, I've now got a very rare clumping bamboo that I found a spot to put. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, that's how it works. Yep. Yes, well, of course, I lost my largest tree. Yes, right I saw your pictures. Yeah. Right just before the open garden. Yep. That's and actually part of the course. I had a big gum tree come down just before an opening once. Uh, I think there's, there's, there's a theme. <laughs> <laughs> and we just had thousands of uh, big trees come down across the... The Dandenong Ranges oh, estate. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're, you're, you look after the Arboretum, don't you? And, yeah, yeah, and that's why that's... so much came down in the Arboretum. Yeah, that was one of the one of the major areas. There's a lot of those areas across the mountain where they call them wind-thrown areas, and it just just looks like a logging coop, essentially. It just sort of matchsticks. Everything just got blown out. So, yes, it's going to take a long time for clean-up to happen, and, and obviously it needs to be done in a sensitive way too, so... Yeah, it was a devastating storm. Mm. Incredible. Yeah, well, we we certainly had some major damage in some of our gardens yeah. in Macedon. Yeah. Uh, some of our old sort of 1870s gardens and things lost seriously major trees, uh, which is very sad. It is sad. Um, but, you know, some of our real, real big ones um, managed to come through somehow or another. I mean, one of our big gardens at Mount Macedon's got what we think is the tallest and biggest exotic tree in Australia, um, a huge Sitka spruce. Yeah, right. And it's 40-something metres high. Uh, It's got a trunk on it. You can't get your arms halfway around. Um, It is just enormous. And it just came through the storm with the plomb and other trees around it crashing down. So you can never be sure. Yep. Well, well, in the Dandenongs, you just have, it's almost like a whirling dervish went through because you'll have a long, almost straight line mm. of yep. where huge trees have just come down. And they, and they have mapped those those areas out across the mountain and there doesn't, there doesn't appear to be any real Logic. rhyme or reason to it. You mm. know, obviously it must hit gully lines and just, just roar through it. But, but yeah, it's not like it's one line right through or anything mm. like that. But it's, yeah, it was incredible, incredible mm. amount of damage. It will... Um, change the forest a bit. Mm. It might be good for it, mightn't it? As long as it doesn't happen again next year. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's natural processes at play obviously and these things happen as similar to fire and and but as you say these extreme events are sort of happening more and more. So that that becomes an unnatural event I guess once it's happening too often, but the big thing will be obviously Weed growth and things like that, especially in an yes. area like the Dandenongs or the Macedon Ranges, mm. where there's there's so much edge effect coming into those those um, natural Actually, areas. We've anyway. got a double whammy up there at the moment because the um, uh, powers that be have decided to remove the radiata pine forests off Mount Macedon. Yeah. So they're logging them at the moment. So they logged a few coops last year. They're logging some more now, and the plan is to get rid of them altogether. The radiata pine. Yeah, the radiata yeah. pine. Which I can sort of understand where they're going, mm. um, except of course that the, some of the coops of radiata pine on Mount Macedon were actually quite tourist attractions in their own right. I mean, yeah. people went up there to collect pine mushrooms. Uh, we had you know northern Europeans who came there because they were conifers, yep. um, and so in some senses they had a sort of a cultural 
place up mm. on Mount Macedon. Um, but what they're not doing is they're taking down the trees, they're leaving the dross on the ground, so they're taking the logs out and they're leaving all of the, the branches just lying around. And there's an enormous amount of weed growth coming up. Some of it is, in fact, native regeneration, but are the weed species going to win? Yeah. I mean, there's sycamores coming but up, also, there's holly, blackberry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, can I point out that one of the things about the pine trees, for me in the Yarra Valley and for both of you, is that it is now really important food for the yellowtail black cockatoos. Well, that's the other thing. Yeah. A lot of native animals have become adapted to some of these exotic species. And it's it's one of those classic things that they can't seem to do things um, gently. S- sensitively. You know, we have yeah. to take the whole bang lot mm. out. Well, they did mm. that at Mount Macedon with a copse of um, uh, suckering North American poplars. Uh, there's an old nursery site up on the top of Mount Macedon at a place called Lake Sanatorium. And so there'd been a lot of plants put in there over the years, exotic plants that they'd been sort of uh, testing out for this nursery that was up there. And somebody had planted um, one of the tremula-type poplars. And, of course, they sucker. Yep. And there was quite literally a couple of hectares of it that had suckered. So instead of just leaving it and doing a regular sort of let's kill round the edges thing mm. and just keep it in place because it was quite a beauty spot. In the autumn, you'd walk down this path through all these beautiful white trunks yeah. with the yellow leaves all coming yeah, down. Yeah. I mean, people were taking their photos in there. It was, And so anyhow, the, the powers that be decided, oh, it's a weed, we've got to get rid of it. So they sent the bulldozers in. Oh. Uh, and they basically bulldozed the whole area and then started spraying the suckers that were coming up, which I might add, they're coming back again so yes, they don't get up there and do something about them shortly. Um, the public backlash against that was huge. Yeah. Um, in fact, it almost became political because there were some people saying, of course, if the Liberal government had been in, that would never have happened. And there were others going, well, of course, it's got nothing to do with the Labor Party. It's the Parks Department or whatever. And so everybody was handballing it to somebody else and it got completely out of hand. Um and it wasn't nodding to the cultural heritage of the site. You know, they just wanted to put it back to native bush, which is and, um, fine. But, but yeah. it's not fine because yeah. we don't con- control the native bush in any sort of way. Yeah. Having been managed for 60,000 years, yeah. we now just let it go. Yeah. I mean, mm. it's, it's not as if we are putting it back to mm. native bush. No. And, and, in fact, I said to these guys, you've got the car park area where people can stop and picnic and all that stuff. It's got mown grass. It's got exotic trees. It's got a beautiful copper beach. It's got an enormous linden. It's got, you know, several... It's got some big old camellias because there used to be a little house up there years ago. So there's this sort of row of camellias that would have been along the front of the veranda of the house. And so there's all this sort of stuff there. And I said, you let that go back to native bush. That's fine in one sense. But... It's not going to make people stop and enjoy the space because it's just going to be part of the bush that's around it and you're going to have this exotic area that then suddenly stops and then you go into this native bush. You need to sort of make a gentle transition. So I actually had a win. Um, I got them to um, plant an avenue down the path where the poplars used to be uh, of silver-leafed lindens. Yep which in time will do a lot of what the poplars did, yeah, except yeah. they won't sucker. They won't sucker. Um, and so you'll have this canopy of, of lovely big trunks with the heart-shaped leaves turning yellow yeah, in the yeah. autumn and fluttering to the ground. Beautiful. So, and I made them put proper deer protection around them as well. <laughs> <laughs> so the trees are doing well. Yeah. So, Don't mention deer yeah. in front of Tex. <laughs> yeah, well, you must have enormous problems with deer. We do. We do have animals. enormous problems with deer, and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's one of the big things we sort of uh, – Trying to get is a is a better perimeter fence, especially along the, the along the national park side, along our sort of northern boundary. So that's 
that's something I've been working on for a long time. I think we're getting closer, but at the moment, yeah, we do exactly what you're talking about. We put we put uh, big cages around everything that we put in, and of course, you've got to have them in for many years because yeah. it's not like rabbits and you get yeah, a couple get of years them. growth and you get above them. Yeah. It's it's these things will keep yeah. keep. Well, we had that problem right. up at Mount Macedon. One of the big gardens up there had planted beautiful conifers. They were mm. making a little bit of a sort of a pinetum, some quite rare stuff, and they put cages around everything. And the gardener, in his wisdom, thought it was time to take them away. Mm. And within weeks, the deers had stripped all the bark off the trees and basically destroyed them. We've, we've learned a hard lesson too. That's uh, mm. yeah, because it it is. And at certain times of the year, they'll they just rub with their antlers. They lo- they yes. they just love it, and they they do. They'll strip strip things, ring bark them, and yeah. and well, you think and they come see back. the rabbits. The, uh, it's the one thing about the rabbits. They will ring bark. They ring bark mm. one of my trees that yep. is dying, um, because their teeth never stop growing. So they have to go and sharpen them somewhere. Yep. Which is a real problem. You know, I've just been at the dentist recently, and I wish my teeth would keep growing. <laughs> 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 Save me a fortune. Yeah, exactly. This is the Three CR Garden Show. I'm Virginia Haywood, and with us are Tex Moon from the from the Dandenongs, Stephen Ryan from Macedon, and Bronwyn Cole from the Yarra Valley. If you wish to ring us, you can ring us on 94198377. No, you can't. That's the off-air line. The on-air line <laughs> is 94190155. The off-air line is 94198377. You can email us, though we will not pick that up today, at gardening at 3cr.org.au or you can text us on 0488 809 And Bronwyn, you tend to be contained to the Yarra Valley, but I'm sure the fruit fly aren't. Yes, my work is predominantly focused in supporting Yarra Valley horticulture, but we understand that the pest, and I was interested to, you, to hear you guys talk about deer and rabbits, mm. Queensland fruit fly aren't really any different. They don't have a home mm. and they can move across borders and that's why we have to have effort and, and educate people in those spaces and next to those spaces about managing pests. One of those is Queensland fruit fly. When you say, you know, managing the pest, do we know where it is at this point in time, how far it's spread? You know, I know you've got it in the Yarra Valley and you're trying to manage it there, but it's obviously going to spread. Do we have any sense of where it is yet? It's interesting how you look at it. I look at it the other way, that it's in Melbourne. Yeah. And that we're trying to keep it out of the Yarra Valley. Oh, so right. the Yarra Valley has traditionally had a recognised pest-free area yeah, for a very right. long time. Mm. And our producers have been able to produce fruit without having to then treat it before it goes to export markets. Mm. So the incidence of fruit fly in Melbourne and northern Victoria has meant that we constantly need to have our vigilance about us. And if we do detect any fruit fly in the Yarra Valley, we can act really quickly with Mm. some corrective actions. And we have over 150 fruit fly traps in the Yarra Valley. And that serves as an early warning uh-huh. and therefore a rapid response can then take place. And, of course, you would understand with pest management, if you have a few pests in a small area, it's much easier to fix and control yeah. and much less chemical implications, much less implications on all the other production systems if we can minimise that detection. So it is around Melbourne? It is around Melbourne. Mm. It, we get reports, being in the Yarra Valley, we tend to be the first ones to get the call. We get reports, Northcote, Ascot Vale, Mooney Ponds, 
and we've also noticed over the last few years it's spread quite extensively through uh, Greensboro, Eltham, oh. Montmorency. We've had people ring up saying, oh, I haven't seen this pest in 40 years of gardening and they attacked all my tomatoes and my plums. And it's like, mm. oh, dear. They're like, very bad for tomatoes, aren't they? Yes. And do we attribute that to climate change at all? Like the fact that they've that they have migrated further south, or climate change is probably a quarter or a fifth of the equation. Yep. What we've got is a lot more fruit movement. Yep. A lot more people, mm. a lot more humans moving the fruit. Yep. And we've also got that opportunity that the insect might be starting to get a bit more tolerant of the colder climate. Mm. So you've got that tolerance as well as that climate change. Yep. So I also attribute it to the removal or the lack of use of a lot of very harsh chemicals that used to be around years ago. Mm. They're no longer on the market. They're no longer being yeah. used. So the the easy option of getting rid of them is now off the table. Yeah. So therefore it's harder to manage the pest in the, in the areas where it is. Though once you get that equation, it's more likely that it could end up in places where we've traditionally been fruit fly free. Yep. And is there any natural predators? Apparently there is a parasitic wasp, wasp that can get into the larvae, yep. but we're not detecting that south. We've yep. only found it in northern Queensland. Yeah, well, okay. we, yeah, <laughs> the yeah. people I work with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that whole network. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we meaning as opposed to them. Yeah. <laughs> the issue with natural control, controls, of course, is that they're not controls, they're management. They yes. have to have a host. Yeah, and so the host still has to be there, so you yeah. don't actually completely control the problem, do you? Completely eradicate, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I had you that can issue support years. it yeah. by yeah, yeah. having another host. Yeah. So you can have a larvae host that's not as damaging as Queensland fruit fly that the parasite can also oh, live I see. in. Yeah, so, so that's yeah. one strategy that's been thrown around. Yeah, so you could have something else that will support the, 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 parasite. the parasite bug. Because I tried to use parasitic... Uh, uh, creatures on a hedge I had at home. I had uh, dreadful um, whitefly all through the, the yep. hedge. Yep. And so I bought some uh, beneficial bugs. Yep. Uh, and they did have some impact. But, mm. you know, of course, they don't want all of their food source to disappear completely. So it never really cleaned up the hedge. It's a system. It, yeah. It's not a solution. Yeah. So I we have a nursery at home. My husband's from a, nurse, a nursery family and we've got the igloos. Mm-hmm. And so... What we do is we buy the beneficial bugs, and a lot yep. of fruit growers in the Yarra Valley do this as well, buy the beneficial bugs on a weekly order. Oh, yeah. And they put them in place a couple of weeks before the pest is likely to occur so that the pest, sorry, the beneficial population is already starting. Yeah. Mm. And it's then got the ability to manage its population according to the food supply. But yeah. you're topping them up as well. Because yeah, yeah. there's different attacks for both the male and the female fruit fly, isn't there? All right, so, so yes, yeah, switching away from parasites, when we look at Queensland fruit fly, we attract them with our traps, which have got lures inside. And they're bright yellow. <laughs> and, they, and, and the lure inside can be specific for the male Queensland fruit fly and the female Queensland fruit fly or anyone else that's hungry. So we actually attract a female with the food. She loves her protein. <laughs> well, she's got lots of eggs to lay. So yeah, yeah, so she does. Yeah. 2,000 eggs in Goodness her short me. lifetime, so wow. she has a lot of protein. But so the traps would also trap things that we don't want to trap, wouldn't it? Not necessarily. No? Because that male pheromone in the male trap is so specific for the Queensland fruit fly male, hmm. we find very little bycatch in there. 
The protein traps, however, do get a little bit of bycatch, but it's mainly also protein or decom- uh, decomposition or, or composting, break, you know, food breaking down attra- insects that it attracts. So, so European wasps and wasps or um, be excellent to attract vinegar, yeah. vinegar flies. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, which my compost heap attracts quite yeah. a lot. Yeah, so, so we, we don't find a huge amount of bycatch yeah. at all, actually. So it, it, it is comparatively specific to mm. what you're trying to catch, really. Yep. Yeah, which is fantastic. Yes, well, it is important to try and, and get it because it attacks virtually all the fruit. Does, does it attack grapes? It can attack grapes, although it's a lesser preferred host, mm. particularly wine grapes that just don't have that sugar that sugar. the fruit flies after mm. laying its eggs into. Um, and it's they're quite turgid, so that the fruit fly ovipositor or its stinger, mm. the, the the apparatus she uses to poke her eggs into the fruit, sometimes can't get into that turgid wine grape. However, there's over a hundred different fruits and vegetables. Well, we call them vegetables, but scientifically they're still fruit. We have this debate every day. Even though you don't use it in a fruit salad. Yes, <laughs> but um, zucchinis as well. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so even things that aren't traditionally very sugar high are still being hit by this thing. They're all carbs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. pumpkin, so, so, pumpkin. Yeah, dear. Yeah. Mm. With the carbs, it's there's a microbe that's associated with the larvae and the eggs, and that helps accelerate that rotting inside. Mm. I've got a picture here for those that are here. You can yeah. see a. A huge amount of jelly brown rot inside mm. the piece of fruit. Yep. You see the outside is actually quite intact. Yep. It, it's got this amazing ability to keep into the cent- keep inside and stay in the centre of the fruit. And the microbes in there actually accelerate the rot in that part. And it's making this, this carbohydrate, mm. so yeah, the centre of that apple in that picture, turn into this soup so the larvae can suck it up. And that's what Sounds helps them disgusting. get their protein. <laughs> It'll be a disaster. Any wonder we don't want it in our fruit. That's yeah. right. Mm. It'll be a disaster in the Yarra Valley. I mean, I don't know if it still is, but in Wandon there was the largest citrus orchard in the Southern Hemisphere. Mm. I don't know if it still is the largest, but it was 10 years ago. And I, there is so – and see, you know, look at me. I've just knocked down three of my lemon trees. I've still got 11. Mm. You know, obviously <laughs> – It's, it's your God-given right living in the Yarra Valley. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> In the Yarra Valley, it's everyone's right to have a couple of lemon trees, yeah. and a yeah. couple of plum trees, and a few yeah. nectarines, and yeah, yeah. It, 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 it fruit. But grows they now in the... need to start being vigilant, vigilant. and responsible. I yes. guess that's right. With their fruit trees and Vig- things. Vigilant so... is the key. It's not mm. panic stations. It's vigilance. Yeah, yeah. And and there's plums that grow in the Yarra Valley on the roadside. Yes, absolutely. And nobody's out there managing them. Well, so. the birds are. Yeah, <laughs> yes. but so are the fruit fly using them. I they guess. can, they can, mm. and and that's the thing. We grow stuff so easily. Our rainfall and our climate and yeah. our fertile. Because there's also apples on the verge too, isn't yep. aren't there? Yes. Yep. Mm. It, but we grow stuff so well. So in places where there's less rain mm. and there's actually less likely for likelihood for those self-sown species to then fruit and fruit in an unmanaged environment. All we can do is try and whittle away at those mm. and control what we can control, and that's backyards, yeah. backyards mm. and production so, zones. Yeah, so everybody with their little orchard needs to be responsible and start thinking about it, I guess. Go and have a look. Put some traps out and educate yourself about fruit flies. So um, you know and how for. does somebody get a trap? They can go online. They can go to a retail nursery, anywhere. Mm. And, and once they catch them and identify them, what's the course of action from there? In the Yarra Valley, you ring me. Yeah. So we've got a hotline there set up for you to be able to report it. 
photographs because we do get a lot of people rigging in with just suspect mm. damage, yeah. which is great. I'd much rather tell them, no, that's not fruit flies. <laughs> in yeah. fact, that's a lovely thing to be able to say. <laughs> yeah. than, and, than and, to be... Bronwyn, what is your hotline number? My hotline number is 0490-381-999. Now, if people aren't at the Yarra Valley, though, what should they do? That's the hard part. Mm. They should further investigate where this problem is. Mm. They need to work with their neighbourhood, maybe through their community garden, maybe through the experts at um, their garden centre, and then they should be trying to delimit the area. So once they get to that stage, they might find that it's just their locutory mm-hmm. and they've caught it early in November. Yep. So they've been able to clean up the fruit. And when I say clean up the fruit, it has to be brought to the boil or frozen. It doesn't work just burying it, does it? No, mm. no. Because part of that life cycle of a Queensland fruit fly is actually a part of... Or a time where it goes to the ground. So once so, the larvae... Yeah, so you're just helping that fruit yeah. <laughs> in the compost. In the compost. Once the larvae is ready to leave the fruit, it's nice and plump and it's mm. sick of living in this rotten fruit environment, it actually puts head to tail and skips. It's the most amazing phenomenon you've seen, this little worm jumping across the table or across the lawn. It's designed like that to escape danger. Birds, chooks, whatever it's got to get out of the way of. And then it spends a period of time under the ground and that's where it has a pupa case and that's where it morphs from its larvae stage yeah, into, into its yeah. adult so stage. So it's actually very legs. important to treat the fruit properly. The other thing, of course, you can put it in a hot black, on a black plastic bag and just leave it in the sun for a couple of days. If you're in Mildura, that might work. But it's May not down here? I think there's too many possums, too many foxes, too many dogs, too many birds, too many people of not people too many animals that might want to get into that bag and rip it open and actually spill the contents before it's been properly treated mm. the other thing is i'm not quite sure it gets hot enough i wouldn't have done it this summer in mm. mildura i'm out of but mm. i wouldn't have done it this summer in the yarra valley purely because it just wasn't wasn't hot enough to cook it mm. it wasn't hot enough for me to plant tomatoes so i guess that's the case <laughs> mm. <laughs> yes you are listening to the garden show on 3cr if you would like to contact us, you can ring us on the on-air line 94190155 or you can ring the off-air line 94198377 or you can text us on 0488809855. I'm Virginia Haywood and with me are Tex Moon, Stephen Ryan and Bronwyn Cole. Stephen, I see you've brought some things in. (laughs) Oh, I've got plants everywhere. I'm determined to be prepared. Um, I don't even quite know. Actually, I know where I'll start. I'll start with the really big one because this plant has a little bit of a a little bit of a story. I pick up this huge hanging basket um, and this rather spectacular burgundy-flowered plant with dark bronze-coloured leaves is an escenanthus. And Escananthus is a genus in the Gesneriaceae family, which means it's related to your African violets. Uh, not that it looks like one. Doesn't uh, look anything like no, one. It no, it doesn't. Uh, but some of you may be aware of calumnias, which were sold lipstick plants, I think they were called. They were hanging basket subjects, tropical, that you'd buy as an indoor plant. And they're in the same group. But the Escananthuses often grow in cooler climates. So I can grow them outdoors at Macedon uh, with minimal, if any, damage done. And that one I just picked up is 
as yet a sort of unnamed species. Uh, it came to me via the Sydney Botanic Gardens. It was sent down to me because they felt I'd grow it better than they were because it was too humid up there. And so they sent it down to me and it loves me. It's the most beautiful mm. thing. Um, I've got a, you know, a wire hanging basket with the core sort of um, coconut fibre. Have you thing. got it at the nursery? Uh, I've I'm building up stock at the moment. I think I've got one small plant for sale, but I've got cuttings in at the moment, so I'll have a nice batch fairly soon. Um, it flowers for ages in the late summer, autumn. Uh, its foliage is coppery coloured all year round. And in a wire basket like that, it'll actually, it'll actually grow through the sides of the basket, so it will come yeah, right. all the way around. And uh, so at the moment, we're, we're growing it as Escananthus a thin Bracteatus, because it's closely related to can Bracteatus. Can you spell Escananthus so people can look it up? <laughs> All right. I can spell Escananthus. <laughs> I, I can actually write it, but if I've got to spell it out, it can be yeah, a bit yeah. of an issue. It's A-E-S-C-H-Y-N-A-N-T-H-U-S. And I have sent Liz images, so I don't know when they'll go up on the Facebook page, but... Um, uh, they are truly amazing, and I've got one here that's unfortunately going to snap any minute. But a more well, an old-fashioned variety that's been around the traps a little bit for years. Uh, oops, and it did break. Escananthus um, garretii, and I've also got that growing in a hanging basket at work, and it's popping out the bottom of the basket and flowering its head off. And popping out at the bottom of the basket is an excellent thing because yeah, it really yeah. makes the basket then disappear. It does, mm. and uh, so Escananthus is is an interesting gene. There's, I think it's reasonably large. I think there's sort of 50 or 60 species or something. Um, and they often grow in the cooler hill stations and lower parts of the mountains in the in tropical climates. So they're reasonably cold hardy. Yep. And they'd certainly grow perfectly well around Melbourne suburbia um, in a fernery or yeah. semi-shaded aspect. They don't like to be in too much sun. But that also means they'll grow beautifully on one's balcony. They mm. would. They, great pot plants. I think they would also work quite well as an indoor plant, given the right aspects for them in the house. And do you think you could grow them falling down rocks or something like that? They or... will sort of spill over. Because mm, um, they can be grow in beautiful. the ground. I mean, I've got Goretii growing in the garden, and it's perfectly happy in the ground. So although they're often epiphytic in the wild, yeah. they don't need to be... Mm up uh so yeah so it can be just in an ordinary pot or it can be in the ground um and so i'm on the hunt a little bit for some other cool hardy species in in this genus because i think they're really really useful plants and flowering in that late summer autumn period it's a great foliage color isn't it oh, this, this brachiata yeah. relative is beautiful yeah um it's... everybody who sees it in the nursery wants it uh so i will have to build my stocks up because i think it will sell really it's well it's a stunner yeah. mm. beautiful plant <laughs> um so yeah so escananthus um, and it's a genus that, you know, I sort of knew about vaguely in the back of my mind, um, but it's come to the forefront, particularly since I got this one down from Sydney. Uh, yep. It's just it, beautiful. It's beautiful. Mm. It really, it is. Listeners, it is a beautiful plant. Yeah. Hopefully, we will all be able to get one over the next yes. couple of years. Yeah, <laughs> yes, I'll just put the prices up a wee bit for the next batch <laughs> when it comes along. Um, no. Uh, actually, that's one of the weird things about plants. It's really hard to define what the price of a plant should be. Yeah. You know, because this, you, you can work out how much it costs you to produce something. Uh, and, you know, if you're really good at it, you can go right down to the nth degree. So you can work out how much time, effort, watering, feeding, potting mix, pots, um, uh, your propagating facilities, all those sort of things. You can work out all the costs coming right down to the base. 
But then why are people paying $3,000 for a variegated Monstera? Mm. Mm. You know, so it's the reality check with all commercial horticultural production. Yeah. You, I know how much it costs to grow a blueberry or an apple. Yeah, exactly. But it's only worth what someone's prepared to pay for it. Exactly, at the end of the and that's the thing. I mean, if a plant is really popular, and then uh, you, you have things like that. Was it the Chinese money plant? It oh was God. unbelievably expensive, and now because it's so easy to propagate, yeah. it's it's quite cheap. Yeah, it's a yeah. perfectly reasonable price. And I'm sure that at some point or another, one of the big barns will have a whole pile of tissue cultured variegated monsteras for forty bucks each as well. Yeah. And so people will go, "Why did I pay three thousand dollars for that thing?" <laughs> uh, but uh, you had it ten years ago. Yeah, well, that's yeah. right. You had it well before anybody else. So that that's part You're of your bragging rights. Yeah, and and I have to say, with some of the plants I grow, because I'm really interested in the more obscure and unusual things. I only grow things in smallish batches, so there's no economies of scale in my nursery. Yeah. So I have to price accordingly, I guess. You know, and yeah. uh, you know, some plants are worth what I feel they have to bring me uh, yeah. for the effort involved. I mean, certainly if I'm buying something wholesale, I can very easily work out a, a retail markup and price on things. But if I'm growing them myself, um, it can be a little difficult. You're and, carrying all the risk. Well, you are, and and some things I grow never really kick off as a, a viable proposition. You know, I've had some plants that sat around the nursery for years and nobody's ever bought them, no matter how good a talker I am. Um, <laughs> and you end up having to ditch them because, yeah. you know, if you, can't make, if you can't sell them at all, there's no point in having them. Yeah. And there is, unfortunately, we as consumers have a habit of buying things that look good in pots, yeah. which is not relatable to your garden because something that looks in pots looks good in pots doesn't necessarily look good in the garden and, and there's a there's a risk there isn't there that you know we see things come in fads and sort of come and go and then you know when we're in a day and age where it is difficult to get things into the country that there's actually a real risk that you lose plants completely oh. from the market from the country and you won't get them back hence and, plant trust yeah um i mean if you go back through old catalogs back into the 1930s and earlier you'll see nursery catalogs that have you know, 55 different varieties of gooseberries. Where did they all go? Yeah. You know, all these plants that were there. I mean, Smith's Nursery in Riddles Creek, which was one of the very early Australian nurseries back in the 1860s and 70s, they had a list that sort of had 25 different cherries and 45 different plums and 55 different pears. And, yeah. You know, you name it, they had these things. And they've all just gone. And yeah. it's sad because we've lost all that biodiversity. And you're right, Tex, we can't easily bring that into mm. the country again, even if it's available overseas. Yeah. Because, well, there's not the there's not the money to be made. Unless you're bringing in the next flower carpet rose that you're going to sell 100,000 plants in the first year of production, the expense involved in importing a new plant and getting it through quarantine and all that sort of stuff is huge. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've done it over the years. I don't do it much anymore because I just can't see the the commercial side of it anymore. It was more for the fun of just having something new that nobody else had. Um, but, yeah, there's lots of plant material here as, as long as I can find it. Yeah. You know, and that's the issue. I mean, but it is anthers just came to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it happens. But we have seen it in Plant Trust, haven't oh, yeah. we? And one of the other things we have, Plant Trust is an organisation that both Stephen and I are members of in which we encourage people to collect and document a, a particular um, species and genus because plants disappear and of course you can get fabulous collections and then that person gets older and older and it becomes really difficult yeah they fall off their twigs <laughs> uh, and, and which is why it becomes important to try and get these collections into botanic gardens and places like that yeah where, where there's a clear and diggers is one we must 
actually approach about doing the same mm. because, you know, Diggers yeah, now has formed itself to be absolutely something that will outlive all of us. Yeah. Which is an excellent thing, I think. And, and obviously there's the parallel thing happening in the wild as well globally where you might, you know, there's there's you might have plants here that are actually extinct in the wild in their natural habitat. Absolutely. Internationally, you know, yeah. and, and so, so again there's that, you were talking about the record keeping, but it's the same, you know, if you lose the provenance information and things like that, that was once there but it's gone, mm. then you don't know where that came from or well, whether it was as – it could be a different species completely now. But some of you your don't. work on rare and threatened. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, the two rhododendrons. Yeah, the two Yeah, the two rhododendrons. Our two rhododendrons. From, uh, yeah, far north Queensland, yeah. So, so yes, there are the two native rhododendrons, uh, rhod- rhododendron lockii and, and viriosum and um, – yeah, we're part of a project that we're designing. Well, it's designed and, and we'll go out to construction fairly soon, a new landscape that's focused on Australian cloud forest plants. So because those cloud forests are going to disappear if global warming keeps going, isn't it? That's those, right. Those plants are being pushed to their... Well, they can't go any further. There's nowhere else for That's them right. To go. And, and that's true for some alpine plants in general, isn't yeah. it? They're, 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 they've, they've reached the peak. They can't go any further and, and they are isolated. And the things, especially these plants up, the wet tropics bioregion of far north Queensland that they're way up in the peaks. They're not going to grow in cans. No. So so bringing them to a place like the Dandenong Ranges, which is sort of, I guess, ironically almost quite well climate matched yeah. to those to those, uh, those cloud forests because we're talking 900 metres altitude plus. So, yeah, where there's been a big, um, a big project that involves the Australian Tropical Herbarium, James Cook University. The Australian Rhododendron Society have been a major player in it as well. And, and it was look, first looking at those two native rhododendrons, but then a bigger project looking at all those, all those rare and threatened plants from up there. So we're going to have a, a really uh, valuable conservation collection of these plants within the Dandenong Ranges Botanic Garden. And our so. producer for today... Is also involved. Yeah. So, and well, <laughs> Emma, who's who's out on the phones, is works for Andrea Proctor Landscapes. Andrea Proctor um, has designed the garden, and they're a fabulous team to work with, and it's an incredible design. So, we're really looking forward to to get to turning some sod on it. It's not too far away. So, Ooh, major project, and it's good to see that happening. Cause yeah, I love all those sort of. Uh, high alpine tropical plants. I mean, yeah. You know, these Escanthus probably fit into that range to a large extent uh, yep. in their natural habitat. And uh, Do you know where they come from? Uh, that The one I had in the baskets from northern Vietnam. Yep. Um, I can't remember where Garatii comes from, but I think the Himalayas somewhere. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, and so, yeah, so they come from that region. And there's a whole, I've bought them in here before, a whole rift of what you'd call... Well, they're sort of tropical blueberries, but they come from up in the mountains. So, in yeah. fact, they're not from tropical climates exactly. And there, they, they have got me completely smitten, that whole group of ericaceous plants. And they're all around the world. We've got our own, yep. uh, Paphia from Paphia. Nor- northern yep. Queensland. And I've now got, I think, a dark pink and a pale pink one. And a friend of mine's got the white. Yep. So I've got to get some cuttings from him of the white form of Paphia in due course. And you can grow them... Perfectly well in Macedon. They grow beautifully. In fact, I lost one, unfortunately, that I had growing up the side of a messmate gum and it kept pushing its branches through the loose bark on the outside of the messmate gum. And it got itself up about 15 feet up the side of the tree and was stunning. And then we had a really dry year and I wasn't quick enough to notice that the 
base of the tree was drying up too much, and unfortunately I lost it. Uh, but it was growing perfectly happily in the garden at home. Yep. Will, will those blueberries be going into your rare and threatened? Uh, the paffia will be in there, yeah, yep, for sure. Um, yeah. Does your remotus fit into that? Oh, no, it's a mertaceae. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. But um, the... Yeah, because the Paffy used to be agapetes. And rhododendrons are the only, I think they're the only ericaceae we've got up there, I think. Uh, But Paffia itself, I mean, it's a bigger genus than what's in Queensland. There's there's New Guinean ones. Dare I say, Sydney Botanic Gardens at one stage had one from Fiji, but apparently they no longer have it. It was put into one of their plant sales. (laughs) (laughs) So somebody's got them. (laughs) But. The trouble is now it's gone out there. Some yeah. may well have it still, but we don't know where it is. Yeah, exactly. So it's back to what we we're talking still about before. In the country, yeah, yeah. But it's gone somewhere. Yeah. Um, and they're all up through Malaysia. You know, it's so all the mountains of that part of the world. And then there's what Tex brought a little piece along of today, which is one of the New Guinean ericaceous plants in the fam or genus Dimorphanthera. And I've got now three, I think, Dimorphantheras, including that one. Yep. Um, and is that from the from the Botanic Gardens. Text. Yeah, it grows. It grows. We've got it growing at the Dandenong Ranges Botanic Garden. I'm not sure where we got it from originally, but um, but it's there. Um, yeah. Dimorphanthera um, keiseri. Yeah, and yeah. it's beautiful. It's a, it's yeah. As as Stephen said, it's a, it's got that. It'll come out with blueberries, but the the flowers are just so dainty and little mm. bells and really nice. What colour are the flowers? Pink. 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 And the fruit are edible. Apparently, yeah, yeah, I have well, not. Well, Dimorphanthera alpina, which is another one of the New Guinean ones, I've got a big one of those in a hanging basket, and it has tubular flowers that long. It yeah, doesn't right. look anything like this one yep. um, in pale pink, and it gets these huge blueberries um, and quite edible. And I've got one from Costa Rica of genus called Maclea, uh, yep. um, and it gets big blueberries. I've been eating them off the plant as I walk through the shade house regularly over the last few weeks. Yep. And anybody who's got an Agapetes in their garden, which is another genus yep. in the same group, um, the Agapetes have edible berries, and people yep. don't realise that. And one of them has white berries with pink spots. Imagine that in a fruit salad. Yeah. <laughs> so do you... You've got to have enough berries. I reckon that would be one that I would avoid just out of caution. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I love when you know that you can eat them. Yeah, yeah. I'll watch I someone fact, else eat it first. Yeah, but <laughs> I love the fact that you'll be walking through. I, I do this regularly if I've got somebody who's following me down the shade house, and I'll just pick a berry off one of them and eat it as I'm going. <laughs> I don't make a comment. I just eat it uh, and just wait for the reaction. <laughs> so, yeah. I, yeah, I think it's an amazing group of plants and they would grow well in hanging baskets in people's ferneries all over Melbourne. Yep. And could you please give us the name again? Spell it. Come on. Dimorphanthera. So D. I might have to write that down. D I M O R P H A N T H E R. Yeah, E-R-A. Yeah. Dimorphanthera. Keiserai, or as I, I like to say, Keiserai. Keiserai, right, yes, yeah. indeed. Uh, and do you propagate this for your shop? No. No, it hasn't been propagated for the shop. I um, think you should. Possibly it should, yeah. And that that would, look, that would get the Australian Rhododendron Society, again, they operate out of the garden, still founded the garden way back when. And um, they would be the ones that I that yeah, I would think would be propagating would, it up. Would I'm be, certainly be propagating. going to, yeah, because uh, I'd like to see it in commerce, even just a little bit from via me, um, and uh, definitely worthwhile growing. 
uh, and it should be able to be grown in most areas of Melbourne where you would grow Varea rhododendrons. Yeah. So if you can grow all those And they are truly wonderful, those tropical rhododendrons. Oh, beautiful. And, I, and I've had a text message come in about other ericaceae. Oh! Uh, tro- trochocarpa and acrothemnus and rickias are now... Oh, yes, they're, well, they're, they've, they're, they've, they've come out They've of, come apacodacy yeah, to ericaceae. Yeah. All right, well, I need the other and ones. And gul- gul- gultheria? That would oh, be yes, another gultheria. one. Oh, yes, gultheria. Have we got some of those up there? I don't know whether they're up. I don't know whether they're up in the north or not. So I think everybody down. should think about going toward the end of the year to this new section in the in the Dandenongs Botanic Gardens because it's going to be rather exciting, isn't it? It will, yes. And, and as, again, it's a beautiful landscape, but an incredibly important conservation garden as well. So, so it's that combination, which yeah. which is. And I know in the Melbourne Botanic Gardens where I'm a guide, I know they're doing the same there. A very carefully making sure they've got wild collected yeah. and rare and threatened. So yep. it's an important thing to do. Yes, for sure. This is the 3CR Garden Show. I'm Virginia Haywood. If you would like to ring us, the on-air line is 94190155, the off-air line 94198377, and the text line is 0488 809 855. And Where if you want everyone? to, yes. <laughs> if you want asleep. to garden, us, if you want to send us a an email to be picked up next week, gardening at three cr dot org dot au. Now we've got some. Uh, we've got a free ticket for next weekend for Open Gardens Victoria. The Open Gardens Victoria is opening a garden at Portsea called Delgany Estate. It's the first time it's been opened to the public. Since it was redeveloped in, which was about 2004, I think. This will be a, a special Friday and Saturday opening on the 25th and 26th of February. It's a heritage listed garden. It traverses both formal design close to the residence with much more relaxed plantings of moona and lawn stretching to the beautiful vistas of the bay and ocean beach. There'll be a coffee cart and a gelati van on site. So, if you want to ring us on 94198377, there is one free ticket uh, on offer. And for the rest of us that don't manage to get that, it's $10 for adults, $6 for students, under 18s for free, and Open Gardens Victoria do a very important job for us. Tex, you have another Open Garden you wanted to mention. Yeah, I did. Um, So, on the 5th, and 6th of March, there's an open garden at Brookdale Farm out in Emerald. So Brookdale Farm is owned by Michelle and John Rayner. So some of the listeners may know of probably John Rayner, who's the director of Urban Horticulture at Uni- University of Melbourne. And Michelle is fantastic. She's a, she's actually the deputy principal at my kid's school, the Patch Primary School, <laughs> and is an incredible horticulturalist, environmentalist, and, and they've got an incredible garden at the school. But... So they're opening up their their property. It's a, I think it's pretty much right on one acre. Oh, sorry, one hectare, and and it's open as I said on the fifth and sixth of March between ten a.m. and four thirty p.m. both days. Ten dollars entry bookings through trybooking.com. And the big thing about that particular event is that it's a fundraiser for the Global Gardens of Peace, which is an incredible organisation looking at. Um, providing gardens uh, in war-torn areas and developing countries all mm, all around the fantastic. world. So, so great great event. And on that very same weekend is it's the Ferny Creek um, 
horticultural society's uh, plant expo. So, ah, so two reasons to go. Two up. reasons to get to come up the hill. It's a. It's you could do the. Well, you could do them in a day. That's the two of them in a day trip, but you could also stay over and and uh, and spend some more time. And the the for those that have or haven't been to the Ferny Creek Hort Society's plant plant expo, it's a it's a great event. There's, there'll be heaps of uh, heaps of different stall owners there. So your Mina rare plants will be there. And the, you get some Ben Brookness coming up from and yeah, yeah. um, Ben, who is coming up to Ferny Creek. He is going to come into the studio and do a program for yep. us during the okay. year too, which is wonderful. Good. And he's a fabulous grower. Yeah. He has beautiful plants. And that's the thing about Ferny Creek. You find stuff there that you don't find elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. In fact, all those sorts of events are yeah. very worthwhile getting involved with. I mean, we have a similar event up at Macedon on the first weekend in October where a lot of those growers will be yeah. at Bolabeck, the big... Um, heritage listed garden that we've got what one of the big heritage listed gardens we've got at Mount Macedon um those sort of events are really good and of course we've got the the rare plant fair coming up over at Wandon as well yeah um on April the 23rd and 24th uh at Quail Road Wandon uh I'll be up there because I'll be uh emceeing the weekend so I'll be there too oh yes yes of course you will yes that's where (laughs) we first met that's my home country yeah so yeah so if you want to come and and have a chat about Fruit fly and go and buy some good plants and there's s- lots of experts in those spaces oh, yeah. too. Yeah, so you can is. go and chew their ear and out. have a coffee yeah. with them and mm. really get mm. the lowdown on what's mm. going on in the plant world. Yeah, because mm. if you go into your average garden centre that buys all their stock in from somewhere else, you don't actually have to be an expert to be in those places to sell the product. So often you don't get that sort of backup stuff. So if you can go and see somebody who's growing fruit trees or growing succulents or Whatever. Go and see the new Steegs for roses. Yes, all those sorts of things. So that event's coming up. And just in passing, well, not in passing, in fact, something well worth going up to our area for at the moment is the big tuberous begonia display that Peter and Jess from White House Nursery, they've got uh, what they're calling themselves the tuberous begonia garden. They've got this igloo that's full of hundreds of the most outrageous tuberous begonias. I mean, I call them honestly vulgar because they are just so big, so blousy uh, but and so in your face, but they don't seem to care. Yeah. And it's worth going up to see that. That's on every weekend till the 8th of May oh, that's uh, good... from 10 to 4. Uh, and you can go up and look at the begonias. They've also got um, potted fuchsias to look at this year. Um, and, of course, you can buy begonias as well while you're up there. Um, and it's not that far from Dixonia rare plants. So you could come via my way as well. And Sounds then Ballarat like will trip. be... Ballarat Begonia Festival yeah. should be on. Or if it's not already on, it will be on over the next couple of weeks. Um, so it's so... really exciting. There are lots and lots of things it's a good, to get good to good time now. of year yes. where we're sort of... Come through the heat of summer, and now now things are starting to to happen again. And of course, after the last couple of years we've had, it's a it's a great excuse to get out and and actually, yeah, do some day trips well, up and your buy way some and up plants. My way in the next few weeks, all the autumn colour will be coming. It'll be starting, yeah. And the other thing is that we're doing it all outside. Yeah. So for it, it, for people who are still a bit nervous, quite rightly, I yeah. mean, there is still plenty of the, of the disease around, but. All these events are outside, outside, which makes it easier. And we've got a call. Yay! Our first call is Daniel from Beaumaris. Hello, Daniel. Hello, how are you? Good, thank you. What can we do Good. for you? Um, I have a question first. I think it's probably more for Stephen. Yep. Um, I was just 
I have a um, climbing hydrangea, Pediolaris, yeah. that I was thinking of planting, and I was just... I watched your video as well, but I was trying to work out how much sun I should be aiming to give it where I plant it and right. what kind of sun. Uh, they don't need any direct sun. Um, okay. They can cope with a little bit, but they don't want the really hot sun in the middle of the day. Um, but they're perfectly happy in a spot where they get plenty of light, but no direct sunlight. In fact, they're one okay. of the few self-clinging, flowering climbers that you can grow in shade. In fact, okay. there's not that many flowering climbers uh, yeah. that are self-cleaning, yeah. <laughs> to be honest. Um, so, um, yeah, so they will cope with a little bit of sun, but if you get that really hot afternoon sun on them um, in the summer, burn. they'll burn. I have yeah. to say, Daniel, I grew one on my back wall in London. Yep. And it got quite a lot of light, but it got no sun. Mm. And as you know, London's a lot colder and darker than here, yeah. and it was quite happy. Yeah, they're, they're great climbers, the climbing hydrangeas. And thank you for yeah. mentioning my video, Daniel. Um, That's okay. Something I haven't <laughs> like mentioned I have this morning a, um... is our YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have like a liquid amber in the yard. Do you think I should try and get it climbing up that, or...? It may be a bit too dry at the base of the liquid amber. It would be a struggle for it to get itself established. I mean, in the wild, quite obviously, the climbing hydrangeas grow up trees because there's no walls or fences. Mm. So, you know, they have to grow in that sort of habitat. But they do come from fairly damp soils so that the trees aren't creating really dry soil around them. If you thought the soil could stay moist at the base of the liquid amber, it would be a fabulous way to grow a climbing hydrangea because uh, they yeah. do look fabulous growing up the trunks of trees and you know they're not invasive they're not going to cause the tree any harm um, they're slow no. enough growing that they're easy to prune if you needed to um, so if you could grow them up the trunk of a tree it'd be great but just keep in mind that it's likely to be rather dry so you'll probably, probably have to water stay moist because it's uh, sandy soil so it's impossible yeah, to struggle to keep it damp it. enough <laughs> mm. yeah um, am I also able to do a quick community announcement as well? That's yes, all right. Yes, of course. Um, so there's the Melbourne Begonia Society, um, and normally next weekend is our like kind of annual plant sale and show. But just because of COVID, we've delayed it just a little bit. Um, so we've kind of moved it on to Saturday and Sunday, the 9th and 10th of April, um, and that's at the Moorabbin Senior Citizen Hall on 964 Nepean Highway, Moorabbin. So. Normally, a lot of people come around end of February, usually in line with the daily show, but we just have to move it along. Um, so you can contact us on our Facebook page if you have any questions. Fantastic. Well, there you go. The cool. Gonias are really featuring this morning. Yeah. <laughs> thanks very yeah. much, Daniel. Sorry. Thanks so much, Virginia. Bye. 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 Oh, now can I remember? Oh, this is terrible. Oh, I haven't done it for so long. I did that really slowly. Uh, and yeah. I thought I was doing so well. well you have done really well this yeah. morning so far, Virginia. <laughs> Better than I did last time I was here. Uh. And we've got another call. Um, it's Norma. And she is has got climbing spinach, I presume, the New Zealand sort. Hello, Norma. Hello. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. I got uh, what they call the Malabar green, I think, and it's a climbing spinach, and it's going excellent. It's going really good. Now, I heard that when I cook it, I'm supposed to boil it and throw away the water. Is that right? Some of these things, yes, because yeah. they... they, they um, Oxalates. Yes, yeah. yes, you've got this sort of oxalic acid in it and so forth. So, yes, you would need to clean away the water when you when you eat it. Um, and I Bron- haven't grown it myself, I have to say. And, Bron, when you 
Do you grow this? Yeah, we've got it in our aquaponics system. When I pick it, I put it in the colander and actually pour the kettle over it. Oh. And then I put it into my steamed vegetables at the last minute. So oh. it's just a matter of draining away those excessive oxalates that our bodies don't like so yeah. much. Oh, good. That's and you don't advice. eat it raw? Oh, Not man. lots of it anyway. Mm. I usually munch on a piece out of the garden. Yes. Well, that actually does raise an issue. They're one of the plants that's become popular in culinary circles, particularly in uh, high-end restaurants, are some of the coloured leaf doxalises. Now, they're full of oxalic acid. They, in quantity, are not good for you, yeah. but they have a bite to them that is quite nice in a mixed salad. Yeah. But they're not strictly edible um, because they can actually be poisonous in quantity, but people are eating it in high-end restaurants in salads. And the yeah. same for the winter spinach and those oxalic um, plants is the purslane. It's yes. a weed that's an edible weed, but you don't eat it in quantities. Yeah. 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 So all these things in moderation. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I, I always take my gin and tonic in moderation. <laughs> so. <laughs> Sorry, my other question is, should I cut, because it grows quite big, it grows on an ashway and it keeps growing, should I cut the end of it or how do you treat the plant? Yes, I've got it growing and it's not climbing, it's just covering the ground mm. and it's covered a rather large amount of the ground. You could just chop it back, surely. Yeah. So yes, chop it back. Apparently, it's um, it's a perennial, so it will grow again. Well, we took it out of the aquaponics and it's grown back, but mm. I don't know if that was from seed because there was lots of seeds around, or if it was from the original plant. So I'm sorry, I can't finish that. Yeah, yeah. Look, oh. I, I wouldn't hesitate to try chopping it back a little bit and just keeping it in bounds. I mean, most plants will respond to pruning, yeah. so I wouldn't be too. I'm sure you can prune it. You yeah. can cut. I don't know if you cut it back so there's not a single leaf if it'll come back. But if you cut That's it back, what I was wondering. Yeah, I would leave a bit. Just start at the edge and work your way in. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Do it. Do it in in stages and drabs and, uh, <laughs> and get back to us. Yes. <laughs> okay, I will. Okay. Thank you very much for that. That's a pleasure. Thank, Thank you, you Norma. Thank you. Bye. We have a aquaponics at home. My husband's built it, and there's trout in the bottom. Yep. And there's all the media in the garden bed that is designed to help filter the water mm. and then we've got all the plants growing out the top and we've grown some things there that we've never grown at home successfully before tomatoes at one because mm. we don't normally it's normally too cold in Denbrook. <laughs> yeah. we've got hot chilies that we've never successfully grown before and this water or this warrigal greens or new zealand spinach yeah. or whatever you want to call it it's just gone tremendous well, there you go. I've got a now, hot... Now, do you eat your trout, though? Yes. Good. Oh. Yes, I can't see the point in having that system yeah. unless you make use of the whole system. Yes. So... And if, you, if you're not managing your aquaponics very well, you actually have to eat a lot of trout very quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got a... Because um, I'm in the Yarra Valley as well, as you know, and I have got a chilli that will overwinter. Is that the ricotto, the ricotto chilli? I'm not quite sure. It came. Your round one. It's r- very round yeah. and it's very fleshy, so it's yep. not very good to dry. But it, it gets very hot in autumn. It's not yep. as hot in spring, and it goes straight through the winter. And it it keeps flowering right into the into early winter. Yep. It's fabulous. So I'll give and you one. And you have one. that protected? No. It's so in I'll the elements, you... the harsh elements of the Yarra Valley. Yep. Awesome. Well, it's in my vegetable garden, so it's got... That's yes, harsh the, enough. <laughs> the Yarra Valley can get very hot and it can get yeah. very, very cold. cold. It's yes. not well, protected. It's not... I'm actually protected from frost because I'm on top of yeah. the ridge and the frost rolls off me. Mm-hmm. So I very rarely... I grow heliotrope and you can't grow heliotrope mostly in the valley. Mm-hmm. 
because um, the frost rolls off. Yep. And I've lost the heliotrope once or twice in 16 years yep. because of the cold. Um, but it does get very cold. I mean, I see snow. Okay, I've seen snow three times since I moved there. It yep. never sits on the ground, but I've seen it. Yep. And um, and it just it goes on. It comes from the very high Andes. It's right. it's back to what we were talking about the Australian rhododendron. You mm. know, it comes from it comes from the tropics, but it comes from a cold bit of it, as it were, because mm. it's high. So mm. yes, and it is quite a thick fruit. Yes, it's, it yeah, is. Yeah, I've made the mistake of just trying to fry it on a fry pan. You think, geez, so, you know, usually they soften and blister and kind of shrink down, but they these ones <coughs> take a and a chef. quite a yeah. quite a bit. Yeah. But <laughs> then, but then when I did it, I thought I'll I'll uh, cut it in half and do it that way, and I smoked the whole house out with chili. <laughs> <laughs> Oops, <laughs> oh, kids dear. were upset. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yes. Hey, do I get to mention another plant? Because yes, I've got something of here that. Um, Everybody comments on when they see it in my nursery. It is the woodbine or honeysuckle on steroids. Um, uh, that's another one from the tropics, isn't it? Well, it comes from northern Myanmar or and is commonly known as giant Burmese honeysuckle. Um, and it's the biggest of the honeysuckles in every way, shape and form. It has flowers that in the old measurements are about four and a half, five inches long. Um, they're tubular. When they first come out, they're virtually white. Then they go through yellow to an apricot before they finish. And because they're not all in flower at once, you get that mixture of colour through the plant. Yep. It has big, glossy, tropical-looking leaves on it. Uh, it has huge berries, um, which very rarely self-seed, I, I find. Um, so I don't think there's any particular weed potential in this honeysuckle. In fact, it's somewhat hard to propagate, so you don't see it round mm. the traps much. The berries, funnily enough, taste of a gin and tonic. More edible berries. It's a bit of a theme this morning. Yeah, it is a theme this morning. Um, And in the wild, apparently, this plant can grow 70 feet or more. So it's not for a little tiny tripod in the middle of your rose garden. Um, But if you're looking for a big, bold climber to grow over a pergola or, um, you know, over an arbour somewhere in the garden or to grow up through a redundant tree that you don't like, and that's one of the things you can use some of these climbers up through trees where the tree itself is only going to be a support. You're not that interested in the tree. It doesn't do anything interesting. Um, You might otherwise take the tree down, perhaps, because it's not making any sort of real impact in the garden. Well, maybe you grow a giant Burmese honeysuckle Mm. over it. And uh, it's Lonicera hildebrandiana. Now, the species name, there's some contention over it, because you'll generally see it spelt with a T, as in Hildebrandt, um, who was a famous German botanist. But I read somewhere that this was actually named after a Hildebrandu, who was the superintendent of the Shan states in northern Burma back in the old Raj days. And so it shouldn't have a T in it. So the question then arises, was it first named with the T in it and therefore it has to stay even though it's misspelled? <laughs> or has somebody put the T in later on and it should go back without it? And I can't find any proof one way or the other. And Q Botanic Gardens has put the T in. Yep. Uh, on Plants of the World Online. Yep. So I'm feeling less confident about taking it out now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's, I found no evidence of... Um, well, I suspect most of our listeners, there'll be some esoteric 
odd bods out there like you, Stephen, and they'll be really interested, but the rest couldn't care less because they can't <laughs> spell it anyway. Yeah, well, they, maybe they can't spell it anyway, but it, plant names are really important. and Very uh, important. You don't necessarily want your biosecurity load wiped off because it's named incorrectly. Yeah, well, exactly. You know, so there's all sorts of reasons for getting it right. Um, so I may have to sway to Q because I tend to sort of follow them as my yeah. major source of plant names. So if they change something like all those things that have been dumped into hydrangea recently, uh, including some herbaceous perennials that are now hydrangeas, uh, dianthes really? and things. Yes, they're, they're obviously related to hydrangeas, but now they've all been lumped in yeah. together. So there's this now... Dichroa went in there, didn't it? Dichroa's gone yeah. in. Uh, you're climbing hydrangea relatives, the schizophragmas, the... All those things, they've all been dumped in Because you said the schizophragma in the Botanic Gardens is wrongly labelled. Well, now it's no longer wrong, wrongly labelled. Well, I don't know. It might still be wrongly labelled. <laughs> you just never know. They could still get the wrong name on things. Um, but, yeah, so there seems to be this lumping of everything into hydrangea at the moment, but then a lot of other things are being split Separated asunder. Separated yeah, yeah. And so it's very hard to keep up. Well, see, yeah. that's what happened with the rosemary, of course, because, you know, the herb rosemary is now a salvia. Yep. Much they, to the annoyance of some. Of, of a lot of people. Mm. Um, but they put it in because if they didn't put it into salvia, then salvia was going to get it very, very split up. Mm. So they decided yeah, to try they, and keep yep. salvia together, which meant rosemary yeah. and the Russian sage. Yeah, Perovskia. That's all gone in. That, yeah, okay. And that's completely lost its name. It's yeah. something completely different Well, now. sometimes they can't use the species name yeah, as yeah. well. Although I love the fact that there's now a hydrangea called Hydrangea Hydrangeoides. <laughs> <laughs> That really tickles me because there used to be a schizophragma hydrangeoides. Yeah, now it's been dumped into hydrangea. It's now hydrangea hydrangeoides. Um, so, yeah, that, that really gets me, that one. <laughs> well, for Norma, I hope you're still listening because our producers have the answer. I'll read this to you. A new, um, it was a new caller rang in and said that the New Zealand spinach is actually Bacilla alba which is the Malabar spinach, and it can be eaten raw, and it's native to the Indian subcontinent. I still wouldn't eat a lot of it raw, though. No. Everything in moderation. Yes. Yes. So Including got... the gin and tonics, yeah. which, I might add, I always put the kaffir lime leaves into. Mm. Oh, do you now? Oh, oh that's fancy. That is very nice in <laughs> a gin and tonic. Very nice indeed. Yeah, well, there's another use for all those bloody kaffir lime leaves I've got at home. Yeah. Why people plant that tree, including me, I've no idea. I use a handful of leaves every so often, and this I've got this huge spiky thing. I could go into making crowns of thorns. But you don't, <laughs> but you don't have to wait for it to fruit. That's, well, there it's, is that. It's useful yes, all true. the time. Yeah, that's true. But just how many do you need? Yeah, it's, it's like planting a bay tree. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you end up with this sort of 40-foot tree. Well, maybe it's need... one for the community gardens to plant so that you can all use it all year well, round. That's and there's only one place where it's growing, yes. maybe two, but it's not taking up valuable room or real estate in your own garden. Yeah, yeah well, I'm, I'm and getting And you plant it somewhere near where you don't want kids to climb because it is thorny. Oh, yes. Kaffir yeah. lime is one of those trees that uh, attacks me every time I go near it. I don't even seem to want to connect with the tree at all and somehow or another I'm wearing a thorn in the top of my head because <laughs> I've just bent in to pull a weed or something. And, oh, yes, uh, I'm not very fond of my kaffir lime tree, as you can tell, but well, it grows very well. It's very nice in your gin and tonic. All right, well, so I, I suggest you try that. Yeah. So, well, you can try Try it next weekend at my place. Oh, what a good idea. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, Tex, have you got another plant for us? Yes. What a, oh, a bit of pile of stuff that I brought in. Um, I might go for that one. Aloxalan. Ooh. Penatum. Yes, the, the, this is a... 
they're starting to look a bit tired and ragged, the flowers. But Aloxalan used to be Oreocarlis. Um, so in the Proteaceae family, common name is the Dorigo waratah, so it does have a, some similarities with the common tilopia Except much nicer foliage. Much nicer foliage. And um, the flowers themselves are staminate, similar to waratahs, except not as round and perfect and don't have the big bracts that that are there. But they're so they tend to be much more open, really beautiful, um, pinky red um, coloured flowers. I like the leaf too. Oh, the leaf is, and and again, it's one of those things that's showy all year round. And and it comes from those sort of. Warmer rainforesty areas up around northern New South Wales, Dorigo, obviously, and, and southern Queensland. But yeah, Panatum, they do have some pinnate, sort of um, lobed leaves, but they also have a lot of lanceolate, sort of spear shaped leaves. But this one for us up at the Dandenong Ranges Botanic Garden flowers right through summer and is only just finishing now. So it starts sort That's of December value. right right through. And and it's a. It's a it's a tree, but it's more. I would call it more of a big shrub in cultivation. I think in the wild it can get quite big in in um, rainforest settings, but in cultivation, like ours, is, ours will sit at about six meters, and you could quite oh, easily quite easily trim it and keep it keep it nice and so compact. So shrub but, with delusions of grandeur. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, just a, something a bit different to the to the the I guess the common tilopias, but um, but which are not easy to grow. Easier in some areas than others. They grow well up in the in the hills, and it was one of the first things I did. I planted one of these in our garden when we've only been in our house for six months, but it was one of the first plants I planted because every house along our strip has has a range of tilopias that that are on show, and I thought, well, I won't do that. I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll plant a Dorigo waratah instead. Good for you, Tex. <laughs> Actually, that's something that always irritates me when people on radio and others say, walk around the streets and see what everybody else is planting, because if you plant some of those, it'll work. And in one sense, they're, de- they're dead right. Yes. But in the other sense, you end up with a garden just like everybody else's in the street. Yeah. So I always like to be a bit experimental and try to grow something that's a little bit different so that my garden is different. Yes. The same as everybody else's. Mm. Yes. And do you think the Dorigo Waratah is easy to find around? Uh, I think Karenga do sell it. Yeah. And and so that would be the, the the first stop that I would make for it. But yeah, yeah, and it's it readily grows from seed and cuttings. Um, and it's yeah, it's just a well. A if it readily grows, we'll find it. Yeah, if it's not. Yeah, too I would long. imagine it, it, uh, that our Karanga stock it. And I have to say to people that don't know that little, there's three nurseries in a row there mm, on and, York Road, yeah, and um, which is Mount Evelyn. There's Karanga, which continually wins the best nursery, best Australian nursery in Australia and all sorts of big prizes like that. It is a lovely place to go. Then the middle nursery is also an excellent nursery. And you go to Karanga and both Karanga and the middle nursery have cake and coffee. Yeah. And then the lo- the bottom nursery. So there's, I go to all three of them. I just love it. There's mm. three really good ne- nurseries all next to each other if you live on that side of town. So that's Mount Evelyn, York Road. So it's worth going and having yeah, a look. Yeah, even worth a day trip if you don't live on that sort, mm. sort of town. It's fun. Well, certainly the display garden at Karanga is oh, it's yeah. well worth a wander around. Yeah. Fabulous yeah. plants. Mm. It, it is. It's it's really presented well, isn't it? And, it and, is. and the cafe and everything, as you said, is it, and, and the gift shop. They've got a great range of books and things like that. It's, yeah, it's, it's just a, done well. It's a really, it is done extremely well. 
and and the coffee's good and they have savoury muffins, which are very hard to find in the Yarra Valley. <laughs> well, I wouldn't know. I don't spend that much time in the Yarra Valley, but there you go. Oh, dear. And I've just been told off by the producers that you do not call a kaffir lime a kaffir lime. You call it a makrut lime, spelt M-A-K-R-U-T. And I'll wait to see that catch on. Because it's known so well by the by the other name, name. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and in fact, most of the time when you buy it, it's labelled as that. Mm. It'll change, but it'll yeah. be slow, I suspect. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yes. So another one, please. Tex. Another one. Another mm. plant. Um, oh my goodness gracious! Oh, actually, no. We have we have Carol. Oh, we've got a caller. Oh, we've got we'll a caller. save there the one for later. From Carol from Croydon. On line seven. Hello, Carol. Hello. Um, it's it's not a New Zealand spinach, the climbing spinach. Its botanical name is Basella, B-A-S-E-L-L-A, right. Alba, or there's a red version too. Um, it comes from um, India and Ceylon, and it come, it's a warm weather thing, needless to say. <coughs> And you plant it and put a bamboo stake in it, and it'll climb up the bamboo stake. And I used to eat the raw leaves instead of lettuce, the young ones, um, for a couple of years. I don't grow it anymore because I've got one of these gardens that's overcome by trees. Yeah. But it's it's not the New Zealand spinach at all. So it's a completely separate plant. It's a completely separate ah, plant. Thank you, thank you. And it, it's it's a beautiful thing to grow. I loved I loved growing it because it was. You know, it was amazing the way it climbed up this bamboo pole all of its own accord. And it can get really big. So to help the other caller, did you prune it and how did you manage it? Well, I just let it go. I'm one of those who never gets around to pruning things. (laughs) (laughs) And I I just ate the young leaves and and with, with my garden not being particularly hot and humid or anything, not watered a lot and everything, it never overtook. But you could prune it back. It wouldn't be a problem. But possibly it won't last the winter anyway. But they're readily available now. The the big barn bunnies have them. And it's really worthwhile growing. And you can use it in stir-fries and things like that. And I haven't seen anything about oxalic acid with it or anything. Right, right. Well, thank you very much for that because... So if you see it, grab it. But, uh, I mean, this time of the year there's not much point or even the seeds, you know, it grows readily from seeds and it will self-sow if you've got a warm, sunny garden. Right. So it sounds like it's definitely worth having and you can definitely... Oh, yeah, you could prune it. And you can, it uh, well, I, well, I was eating it raw. Mm. And, and you're I'm, still you know, with us. And I'm still with you. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you very much for that. It's good for our, at least we get corrected when things when we get things mixed up. Our listeners always know, which is absolutely <laughs> oh, well, fabulous. Yeah, well, I didn't like the idea of people eating the New Zealand spinach because I know that's that you is, can't do that. Yeah. And it's you know it's quite a different plant. This this has big round leaves. Right. So I, I presume yeah. that is what Norma had, and we just mis- would, misrepresented so. her. Yes. Yeah. But if you Google climbing spinach, it'll come up and you'll read all about it. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for that. Something you've learned today. Yes, indeed. indeed. Okay. Bye. Thank you very much. All right, Tex. What's that big leafy thing? Big leafy thing. Well, that was the point of bringing this in is that... um, So this one's called... A common name is uh, Puka. It's Marita Sinclairii. 
So New Zealand native. But the reason I brought it in is because I think these kind of plants come into their own at this time of year in the garden when a lot of other things are sort of finished flowering and then it's really you know to have these big showy foliage plants it's mm. a it's a it's a really good time and this is in the Araliaceae family so there's a lot of plants within that you have fatsia japonicas and tetrapanics and things like that. I have to say I don't think I can grow that. You can't grow it. No, I think we're too cold at Massey. Too cold, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's just that little bit cold. Little bit cold. Because yep. it comes from very north in New Zealand, doesn't it? Yeah. It's right up the top of uh, uh, the North Island, I think, in some of the outer islands, in fact. I yeah, think I think grows. so, yeah. yeah. And, and it, yeah, it doesn't like Macedon, No, it, it grows well up in the Dandenongs where we, we've got it, but it's I know it is very frost-affected frost and yeah. we don't really – we're similar to – Virginia was saying before we don't really get the frost there in the in the Alinda, but it it is something that people don't realise that frost will actually roll down the hill, yeah, and just disappear. It's it is a form of water and yep. it rolls away. Yep. So in Mombolk we'll get You'll quite get heavy frosted. frosts, mm. but but in up in Alinda we we don't. So, but yeah, this uh, this plant. I mean, it's got a really tropical sort of look to yeah. it, but it, but it will handle some colder. Yes. So it's, it's tolerant of cold, but obviously not quite to the Macedon standards. Unfortunately. But, but big, really, well, 20 centimetre sort of Being a New leaves. Zealand plant, I imagine it needs the water too. Um, good question. I mean, where we do have it, no. Um, but obviously in Melbourne probably would need need a bit more TLC. Um, but, yeah, where we've got it, we don't, we don't have to supplement mm. w- with water at all. Obviously we would have when it first went in. But, um, I mean, it's a... It's a small tree again, probably six to eight meters, and yeah, just again, just really good showy foliage, which is for this time of year when everything sort of has finished flowering in your garden. Um, it's a good one to have. Well, that was the thing about the Dorigo waratah, the fact that it's only just finishing flowering, because yeah. it is hard to find things that are, we're really in that in between. In between, at the yeah, moment. yeah, 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 just before your autumn colour mm. sh- starts showing, and and obviously there's still a lot of late. F- Sort of uh, flowering perennials and things like that that are that are still putting on a bit of show, but but yeah, there's a lot of other things that are starting to look a bit tired and and so especially woody stuff. Yeah. Y- yes, the woody stuff tends to. Mm. Mm. I mean, for me, the um, native frangipani. Oh yeah, the is whole. the problem? It was the last thing that flowered, and all yeah. everything's out of flower now. Yep. On the high. Yep. You know the high New Zealand lace lace sparks are just coming into flower, so that's another good. Autumnal tree, yep. the hohirius, massive yeah, white yeah, okay. apple blossom like flowers on yep. them, just coming out now. Yeah, and the bees adore them when nice. they flower. They, the whole tree will be buzzing. Yep. Um, so yeah. So and with with your insects, it's such an important thing to actually try and work out that that you've stayed, you've yeah, got yeah. the progression, so that you actually are feeding them at. At the in between, yeah, that's right, and that even comes back to the, the management of uh, what we we're talking about before—the predator bugs and yeah. biological controls and things like that. That's certainly something that we've found up in the botanic garden in the Denong Ranges Botanic Garden. Where obviously, we have mass plantings of rhododendrons and azaleas, so it's a smorgasbord for a azalea lace bug. <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> and and we do buy in um, uh, lace wing, mm. a predatory bug. Which is a brilliant predator in its in its larval form and its crawlers and it eats. It, it, we find it works quite well on the azaleas particularly, but then as an adult they need a nectar source and by then everything stopped flowering. So so we've actually been doing a lot of work over the last few years to plant a lot more 
yeah, late summer flowering plants, perennials, and even some natives and things like that to try to to try to sustain that population. You know, you're buying them in every year, but they're not making it through their life cycle. So you know what happened pre- to me this year? No, this is tragic. Two of my three of my best grevilleas, yeah, red spider mite. Really, I was so upset. They looked terrible, and I thought it was the cold because it happened over the um, you know late winter. And um, and then the bushland people came round for the open garden, and he said, "He said, no, no, that's red spider mite." I said, "No." Mm, oh well. Yes. So that's the end of them. Yeah. I mean, I pulled all the aza- bad azaleas out, all the azaleas that got a lot of red spider mite. I just—it's so hard to control. Mm. Yeah. Well, sometimes it's better to be philosophical about these oh, things yes. and create a gap. Uh, yeah. At the end of the day, sometimes, yeah. you know, I mean, if we end up with um, uh, fruit fly up at Massett, I'll probably pull out my orchard. Uh, yep, that, mm. that is what a lot of people are doing. Yeah. Northern Victoria mm. have a tree pulling program. Yeah, because mm. from and my perspective, I don't have the time nor the yen to really deal with it. And the birds tend to get all the fruit anyway because I don't net. Uh, it's more just for the if aesthetics. You can't, yeah, if you can't yeah. manage it, take it out is the philosophy. Yeah. 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 Put, put in reason. some... Some green veggies, some carrots, some potatoes, something that the Queensland fruit fly won't eat. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And then for me it's what the fruit fly won't eat and what the rat won't eat. <laughs> and the possums and the bats yeah. and the deer and the rabbits. Yeah, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah, hares as well. Oh, I love hares. I would, oh. I, if I had hares instead of rabbits, I'd be thrilled. Would you? Oh, mm. God, well, I've got a hare that's coming in the back of my nursery and it's causing absolute havoc Yeah. and I can't keep it out. Um so it's driving me nuts, and it and it has very expensive taste. <laughs> <laughs> I have been told that um, hair, human hair, in your tree is very good for possums. Yes, I know a number of people who do it. They go to their local barbers or hairdressers and collect the hair up, which all sounds a bit macabre, yeah. and then they hang it in the feet of old stockings or pantyhose. Or the things that you get your oranges in. Yeah, or you can use the orange bags as well and just hang them in the trees and apparently the possums don't like it. And how often do you have to replace it? Apparently it stays there for quite a long time before you have to redo it. You probably get 12 months or so out of it, supposedly. I haven't tried it. A good talking point too for visitors. Yeah, the trouble with some of these things is, (laughs) I don't know how you feel. The reason I don't net my trees, apart from the the physical difficulty of doing it, is that it looks awful. Yeah. Mm. And I'm about aesthetic gardening. I Mm. want my garden to look lovely all the time. And some of you, well, maybe you are old enough to remember Ina Sharples off Coronation Street. I certainly um, am. And she used to wear the hairnet the whole time. (laughs) And so I tell people I don't want my garden full of Ina Sharples uh, because she was a miserable old biddy. is a shocker. Yeah, so... Um, so you'd so be I'd... prepared to forego all of your fruit-producing trees that were fruit fly hosts and then go and purchase your fruit from a, a professional I, I would, producer? I, well, I don't get any fruit off my trees anyway, usually. I mean, my nashi pear was covered in pears this year. Your they nashi. only got to about that yeah. big. And a... My nashi pear. I used to grow nashi with my family, and nashi pear is like saying pear pear. Yeah, well, it is, I guess, yes. <laughs> it's uh, a nashi. Yeah, but anyhow, I have one of those, and the fruit got to about... Golf ball size, yeah. and then the parrots and cockies came in and cleaned them up. My famous apple, same. I didn't the only get a one that I'm apple. very, very keen to get is the persimmon in, in mine. I love the persimmons. All the rest, I don't mind. I've but, got these. I've got these red fleshed apples, which look fabulous, but I don't think they taste very good. Mm. 
Didn't yeah. your dog develop a taste oh, for my, persimmons? Yeah, the big dog, <laughs> the 53-kilo huge. huge dog, which means that she can reach very high into the persimmon tree and, <laughs> boy, did she eat a lot last year. <laughs> I was not pleased. Oh, dear. Yeah, now, so, so you're right. I would forego my fruit trees because they're not really productive anyway. They're pretty, but they're not productive. Uh, and I would plant something else if I got fruit fly in the area. I think mm. I'd have to go down that path. Yeah. Although I don't know that I want to get rid of my citrus trees. No, that's a problem. Mm. It, they can be managed. You've got traps. You've got mm. fruit fly bait. You, if you do it collectively with your neighbours, mm. you can get on top of fruit fly yeah. but it's that area-wide management that is mm. key yeah. it, and it's the same with the gall wasp it's the same with the rabbits and the we deer. haven't got gall wasp at that place yet but you have it's to just monitor turned for up it. at mine you, you have to monitor for it you have to then be able to control it while the problem is small yeah you have to do it with your neighbors you have to ring up and say hey i've got whatever mm. can we check your garden too and then build your delimiting area out so that you have a good group of people who are going to be vigilant about it and, and fight the fight with you. Well, my gall wasp is only in the lime. It hasn't gone into... And, of course, they came, I think, in the native limes, didn't they? That's how they got to Victoria. Victoria, yes, yeah. and I haven't checked the native lime. Mm. But I've got it in my lime, but it hasn't gone into the lemon trees. But if it goes into the lemon trees, the whole bang lot of them will go because I... I mean, I can't manage 11 of them with gall wasp, And that's a, a decision that you have to make. Like yeah. Stephen said before, use it as an opportunity to create a gap. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things my husband and I are like, well, we're finished. We've, we've planted all our garden. Like, yeah, yeah, it does what, get to what that, What do we it? do next? Yeah. I want to buy more plants. And my husband's like, you no. You need a storm. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't have anywhere to plant them. I'm yeah. like, oh, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah so, no, actually I get quite vicious around my garden occasionally because I had two openings that didn't actually happen mm. for my garden. Um, I got a rush of blood and I had this section of the garden that was fine. I mean, it was green and it had plants growing in it, and, uh, but people would walk past it. Nobody ever commented on what was growing in there. Uh, the main plant was the biggest budley you've ever seen in your life. It was one of the yellowy, creamy coloured mm. hybrids and the trunk was sort of like sort of a metre across virtually. Yeah. Um, and it was taking up most of that bed and it had flowers on it, but, pff, you know, big deal. Um, and so I got the chainsaw out. And I went nuts. Excellent. And I cut the... The budley is gone. Uh, There were a couple of other things in the garden there that I pulled out. Uh, And now I've had this opportunity to replant. So I put in a a very rare um, decritium from Uh New Guinea. Uh, I've planted a new cultivar of colrateria, the golden rain tree, that has bright apricot new growth in the spring. Uh, I've put in a parotia persica, which I didn't have any room for, but I've got an awful feeling the possum's going to love in shoot course. (laughs) Um, And so I've now had this opportunity to replant a whole... Section of garden. The parotia, which is interesting because I've put a parotia in and I was going to put it out the front of the house. Mm. And and one of my good friends, Graham, who has a parotia, and he said, No, no, don't. Mm. Mine gets really burnt in February. Mm. It really can't take the north wind. So mm. I've changed where I've planted yeah, it. Your place is tree. a lot more protected than my yeah. place. But I, I have seen possums attack it. So I'm not sure I did the right thing because we do have a lot of ringtails and a lot of brush tails. Uh, so once it gets big enough for them to perch in, <laughs> yeah. uh, that could be a You'll problem. You'll be hanging, hanging stockings full of hair. Oh, no, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just can't bring myself to do those things. You know, everybody says, oh, you know, hang old CDs in your trees. Or, yeah, yeah. You know, put buzzing wires around and you're thinking, no, my garden's find... supposed to be a lovely place yeah. to be. I find it bad enough that all my trees have got 
wire just around the base to stop the rabbits doing their teeth. Yeah. I don't want any more things in my garden. No. Yeah. Now, the open gardens, our open gardens free pass to next weekend hasn't gone, so I'll just oh. announce this again. Next weekend, there is a garden at Portsea which is opening. It's the first time it has opened to the public since 2004. It's a Friday and Saturday opening. That's the 25th and 26th of February. It's a heritage-listed garden called Delgany, and it's got both formal design close to the house and relaxed plantings of moona and lawn stretching to the vistas of the bay and the ocean. There'll be a coffee cart and a gelati van, so it'll be a very nice way to go and spend some time. We have one double pass to give away, so if you would like to grab that double pass, ring 94198377 and talk to one of our producers who will then tell you how to access the, the free ticket. And I think for those of us who don't get the free ticket, it will be a very interesting visit. Delgany down at Portsea. Fantastic. Mm. Yes, I think it's, it sounds like being... I mean, if, the, if it can see both the sea and the ocean, it'll be lovely. Yeah. Oh, that is beautiful. Stephen has just produced an amazing-looking tree. <laughs> All right. I, I, I felt the need to mention it just in passing because it has gone to Liz to go up on our Facebook page. Yep. So it's gorgeous. It's a good idea to mention it. It's a comparatively obscure oak-leafed hydrangea. Yeah. Uh, and it's a gold-leafed cultivar, so you grow this for its leaves more than its flowers, potentially, um, and it goes under the slightly naff name of Little Honey. Um, Very naff name. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure who named it, but anyhow, some people need a little help when they name a plant. <laughs> Why do people give plants really naff names? I don't quite get it. I mean, you... you you want to sound like you're in a, a profession where it's professional <laughs> and it would be really nice if they didn't give plants names that make you sound like you're, I don't know, one of the Wiggles or something. Um, Little Honey has these incredible bright golden foliage on it. It's not a particularly big shrub. It'll grow up to around about a metre and a half is all. Shoulder high. Yeah, and um, uh, it gets the same long, elongated flowers. Uh, yep. that white. you expect white and sometimes will colour as the flowers age if they don't burn. Uh, its foliage gets burgundy colours in the winter Ooh, when wow. the cold hits it. Um, it's a really fabulous plant. The problem with Little Honey is finding just the right amount of light. Mm. In too much shade, and in fact you can see with this plant the, the branches that were down lower on the plant and it was in a batch of plants, so they were in quite heavy shade, yep. are much greener, yep. whereas the stuff that was getting the light was nice and gold. So it needs a high light level but not too much direct sunlight because like a lot of gold foliage plants, it has a tendency to burn. So you've just got to find that right level. Oh, by the way, going back to the hydrangeas all being lumped together, if they hadn't done that, hydrangea quercifolia and hydrangea paniculata, which both have panicle-type mm. flowers, would have been in different genera. Yeah. <laughs> so if they'd split the hydrangeas yeah. instead of lumping all this other stuff in with yep. them, you would have had two well-known plants both have very similar flower heads on them that were going to be in different genera. Yeah. So, yeah. That, that would have been awkward. Mm. It would have been awkward. Which is exactly what the problem with rosemary yeah. going into salvia was. Mm. It saved the salvia. Yeah. Can you imagine the scream that would have happened if they'd split salvias up? Yeah, yeah you'd have all those sages out there getting really upset. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that needs just a little bit of morning sun. Yeah, or, or just very high light levels, but not a lot of direct sunlight on it. Mine are growing actually in one of my igloo shade houses with 50% shade cloth over the top, and that's perfect. 
you know, so it doesn't get any direct sunlight, but it's diffused light through the shade house and it keeps its gold. It looks lovely and clean. Um, so just finding that right spot for it. And of course, if you had it in a big pot, you could move it around. So yep. you bring it out in the winter a little bit more so that it could catch the light and it would pick up the cold and therefore its foliage would colour better. And then you can put it into a slightly more shady spot for the summer. We have a call from Sharon in Cheltenham. Hello, Sharon. Oh, good morning. Look, I think I've asked this question before on the gardening show. Well, you're allowed to ask it again. That's fine. (laughs) This is for my son, and I know he'll be very disappointed. It's a passion fruit that is producing uh, a separate type of, well, I imagine it's the original rootstock. Is that Mm. correct? Yes. You're getting yellow passion fruit, are you? Yeah. Um, I don't think he's had any fruit yet. It's only probably eight months old, but I think that the answer is he probably has to get rid of it, does he? Is no, he just has to get keep... Well, he's got two choices, either yeah. completely getting rid of all that, um, all those shoots that are growing from down the bottom. Yes. But when I buy a passion fruit, I refuse to buy the grafted ones. The ungrafted ones are cheaper and they never throw up banana passion oh. fruit, which is what that one's doing. Ah, mm. oh, okay. That's very interesting. And passion fruit grows fast. I mean, if I had one that was suckering from an understock... Once it does that, you've probably got to keep on top of it the whole time. The you can, whole time. You can deal with it, but yeah. you, you can't get rid of it. So mm. you're always going to have the suckers. So mm. because they grow so fast, I'd pull it out and start again. And Virginia's right. Buy a seedling one that's on its own yeah. roots. Uh, it's the same with a lot of things that they graft that they don't need to graft. Um, um, why buy the grafted one? Costs more and often gives you more problems. So yeah, And I, had, I had the yellow one in my garden when I first moved there. And it took me years to get rid of it. Well, that's the thing, yeah. And that does happen a lot up around the, the Denon Ranges, Yarra, Yarra Ranges, got, where the banana passion fruit root, rootstock becomes there's an There's another one up there that has the most beautiful pink flowers. Mm. If you're coming up from Jane's place, you're coming up the, yeah, yeah. the mountain. And they're beautiful, but it's weedy because weedy. it's all yeah. over the place and yeah. it's a stunning passion fruit yeah, flower one, yeah. that's really pa- um, pale, bright, Bright pale pink. Yep. Love it. Mm. Yes, that's the trouble. If you're an attractive weed, uh, you are a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so I really, I I do think, Sharon, probably, I mean, I think to get them ungrafted, it's $10. And I think, you know, two cups of coffee, I think I would do that myself. I do too. He's a new, he's very interested, but he's only just been growing a year. Well, tell him it's a mistake that a lot of old gardeners have made too. Because yeah. it's uh, you, you, they've got all these grafted ones there, and you think, oh, maybe I should buy a grafted one. Mm. But in actual fact, as Stephen said, I think it's silly. You don't need them to be grafted. Yeah. Oh, thank you. That's good. I'm glad I did ring you after. Yes. I was hesitant. Yes. Thanks. No, always feel free to ring. We don't mind answering. We even keep answering questions about lemon trees. So yes. you're absolutely... <laughs> yes. Yes. One of, one of the... Uh... Perennial questions is about lemon trees. <laughs> so All thank right. you, Sharon. Thank bye you. Bye bye. All right. Well, there you go. Yes. Well, that that's a, that was a very useful question because it is a problem I think that a lot of people have that you get these grafted yeah, passion fruit. The whole for no thing good happened with the Nelly Kelly because it was a cultivar. They decided that they were going to graft it so that they could keep 
the cultivar going because it was supposedly a particularly good passion fruit. Mm. Um, and, of course, if you raise them from seed, it can no longer be really Nelly Kelly because then it's not genetically identical plants. And I think that's why they started grafting passion fruit. But really, when you think about it, the wild species of the edible forms are, in fact, perfectly sound. There's no reason why you shouldn't grow them. Yeah. So, yeah, so hopefully... Now Kelly's disappearing wherever she is. I don't find that I grow. I don't grow passion fruit very well for some reason. They. I. I, I wouldn't be bothered at Masson because I'd never perform particularly well. Mm. And for the amount of passion fruit I need, that's something I would go to the green grocer and buy as yeah. a couple of passion fruit. If I, if for whatever mad reason I decided to make a pavlova, um, and I needed a couple of passion fruit. That's what yeah. I would do. The, the, you don't use passion fruit in gin and tonic. No, <laughs> you no could. that's a rule. You, 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 could. you could. You could. You could, yeah. 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 No, I don't think so. It gives you little crunchy bits. <laughs> I do like it in my, um, in my muesli, though. Yeah. A little bit of passion fruit in my muesli always seems quite a nice thing to do. This is the 3CR Garden Show. You've got just a few minutes if you want to put a quick call through to 94198377. All right. Who's got well, another plant? I think Tex has got some more things hiding over there yeah, that you might like to talk I'll about. I've run out. Stuff. I'll, I'll go for this one. I'm, I'm yes. going to be talking tall trees, uh, small trees for this, this segment, which is unusual for me. But this, um, a protea that is a particularly striking one in our garden up at Alinda. I love um, the foliage. Incredible foliage. Um, so it's protea natita. It's not one that is readily available on the market, I think. Protea flora might have been growing in at some point, but I don't think they do these days. But so it's it's a slow growing tree. It's a Protea natita. It's called common name is wagon wheel tree. Um, brilliant silver foliage, um, and comes out at this time of year in the big white Protea flowers. Yeah, how dare it have such good foliage and a flower? And a flower. Well, the, but the funny thing <laughs> is, you know, like looking at this as a cut flower, sort of like we are now, it's the the flower's big and it, it's almost as big as a king protea, really showy. But on the tree, they're actually they don't show up that much. Yeah, it's sort of washed out with yeah. the foliage. Mm. But what becomes what is its most striking thing is that when it gets the new growth after flowering, so in early spring, mm. it comes through this deep burgundy. Wow. Um, new new foliage that that really is really striking against the the silver. So, um, it's pretty finicky to to propagate. It's it strikes readily, but like a lot of proteus proteaceae sort of stuff, it, it it's really susceptible to fungal uh, issues in well, the early days. That might be why it's not being May, around the trade. Maybe so yeah, and we we have uh, the guys at Royal Botanic Gardens Melbourne have uh, have propagated some for us and for them so we, we do have some new stock coming on in the garden but yeah it's it's a, a for this time of year again and then it's something that's showy year round but it's a really I have beautiful suddenly tree. found that i'm very very taken by white foliage i mean not white foliage Silver. white flowers white flowers yeah I'm just... Uh, you're becoming one of those old sensible people <laughs> well it's interesting because when i First, I was 20 years in London, and when I first came back, I found white not good. And because, of course, we have a lot of white gardens in, in Britain, mm. yeah. and they don't but work here. But you have here. a different light. Yes, the light's yeah. so much white softer. White garden there is, is silver and, and romantic. Here it's Mallee scrub. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's a different light. Yes, but some white in the darker parts of your garden just mm. flashes at you. It's fabulous. Oh, look, we've got a call from Fermi. we better take that. Uh. Yes, of course we must. Yeah. Fermi, hello. 
Hi, Virginia. And what have you got for us? I um, a very sad thing. Uh, we have to cancel the um, uh, bar spot sale next week that uh, we had on. Ah. Oh. Uh, so, um, but the uh, Ferny Creek uh, plant fair is on the week after, on the fifth of uh, March. So, so why did you have to cancel next week? Well, we only had uh, three um, stalls uh, that had confirmed by last week. Right. And um, a few of our um, stallholders uh, had uh, absconded. They're absconding to uh, Mount Gambia because there's a, um, uh, a big uh, event over at the barn. Yes. Yep. I think we might find Jane is absconding yeah. to Mount Gambia. Uh, yes, yeah. she, was our, she was our main drawcard. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, but, um, the, the following week will be just wonderful. Oh, yes. Look, the, the Ferny Creek um, uh, plant fair is uh, just wonderful. And um, um, it, I think I'm, I'm not sure what happens with the, um, with the vaccination status stuff because um, that's all been revised this week, hasn't it? It has, yes. I, th- uh, um, I think, though, the expectation is still for people to be double vaxxed. Yeah. Yeah, and um, and uh, masks when you're indoors. So, yeah, yeah, that's the part that I'm not sure of because it's sort of been revised for um, for a lot of places it's like been, hospitality. It's been yes, and um, shopping, retail. Yeah, and mm. I, I am looking on the Ferny Creek Hort Society's website because I had it up earlier, and they they still do say on their website that everyone who enters the premises must wear a mask and be fully vaccinated, but. Whether that yeah. will change with the new advice or not, I guess yeah. just keep an eye on the website. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, but uh, that's going to be a great event. Uh, Jane's going to be there. Oh, and, good. Um, yep. Uh, we'll, the AGS presence will be there because I'll be on her stall um, selling the leftover seeds that we have. We had our seed exchange this year, right? And uh, there were quite there. There'll be quite a lot of seed left over from that. So. And this is all seed donated by members, so it's quite. Some of it can be quite rare. So it's one of the charming things about Ferny Creek that you get unusual things there. Yeah, yeah. and of course, for people who haven't been there, there is also a beautiful garden with some yeah. stunning proteas that will mm. be in flower. Yep. a beautiful garden to walk around as well. And I think of all years, this year would probably be a really good one to go because there are a lot of because there hasn't been a lot of these plant expos or markets over the last two years. So there'll be people with... I know the Australian Rhododendron Society will be there and they are fully stocked with with stuff to sell because we've got to get it out of the nursery at work. So, <laughs> You've got so, no space yeah. Yeah. So, so, yeah, there, there will be a lot of people with, with a lot of stuff and really keen to sell. So I think it's a, it's a really good event to go to. Yes. Fantastic. Thank you, Fermi. Good. Thanks a lot. Thanks Thank for taking you. the call. Bye. Bye. Yes, I think um, I'll, well, I'll, I'm going to be on the gate for the first bit mm-hmm. and then I'm going on a store to help sell things. Well so done, you. I don't know when I'm going to get to run around and buy. <laughs> Just Not that I've got Actually, anywhere to put get anything. get in there early because you're going to be on the gate, uh, as president of the Mount Macedon Horticultural Society, I normally walk around and get people to put things aside for me before the <laughs> event starts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how legal that is, but anyhow... You know. <laughs> It's out there now. <laughs> yeah, it is out there now. What can I say? Uh, yes, you shouldn't. You shouldn't be telling people. Actually, this year at the Wandon thing, I'm hoping that my offsider Matthew, that does the YouTube channel with me, we're going to hopefully go in early 
and talk to some of the stallholders before yep. the event opens and actually put a, a YouTube video together about plant fairs and, you know, the benefits of them and all that sort of stuff. Which That's should be a great idea. Yeah. yeah. And tell us what your YouTube oh, which, channel is. If people is. are not aware, they can go into YouTube and you type in the haughty hyphen culturalists. So the haughty culturalists, and we put up a video every Friday. So yep. we're very busy and we'll never tell you when to sow the carrots uh, or any of those sort of ordinary stuff because there's plenty of places you can get that. But if you want to grow, uh, I don't know, if you want to know about... Um, um, some sort of rare weird tree or you want to know about how to do things in a technical way, um, hopefully you'll learn from our YouTube channel. So there you go. It's building. We're now monetarised. Excellent. I think we're making enough to go out for a fancy lunch once a month now. So <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> but hey, who knows? Are you still doing radio up in Bendigo? No. The ABC's budget cuts cut back the morning programmer uh, and so the slot I was doing in Bendigo has been lost. And so, yes, I've lost my slot on ABC Bendigo Radio, but of course I'm still doing the one on a Saturday morning with Melbourne, uh, but now with Matt Preston instead of Libby Gore. So, Can I say that I think we have to blame the Liberal government federally for that? They have cut the ABC and mm. cut the ABC but in a way... But then they that... scream at the ABC for cutting country services. Yes, mm. can't have it both ways. No, you can't, mm. but anyhow. So, yes, I'm not doing radio up there anymore, unfortunately, but anyhow... Now, we're getting on towards yes, 9.15. we oh, are, not. and somehow I have managed to lose our theme song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. I don't know that I'm going to be any help. Uh, all right, Stephen's well, got to sing the theme song. Oh, that's, no, that's what's happening. No, I, I can't even hum. Um, you might have to go straight on to alternative news yes. because it is 9.15, so if you can't find our... Yes, I think you're right. You will just go straight to alternative yeah, news. So we'll see you all next week. Thank you, Thank everybody. You, everyone. Thanks and for having yes, me. Yes, we'll see you next week.